The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. So we've been in this series, Love Is. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verse 4 through 7, just walking through this definition of love. And as we have, we've learned a lot about love. We've learned that love is important. Jesus said that the law hangs on two things. All of the law, all the prophets hangs on two things. What? Love God and love people. We learn that love is a choice. That although our world would teach us that maybe love is about our affections and our feelings, thank God that is not true. Thank God that we can choose to love regardless of how we feel. We learn that love is patient. Love puts up with a lot for a long time with restraint. We've learned that love is kind. Love acts for the benefit of others regardless of their response or their worthiness. We learned that love doesn't envy. Love does not want what others have with bitterness, but instead love is happy for others. We learned that love doesn't boast. Love doesn't brag on itself. Love brags on others and on Jesus. Love isn't arrogant. Love doesn't have an inflated view of itself. It's not puffed up. It's humble. Love isn't rude. Love isn't, love is polite. Love minds its manners. Love is considerate. We learn that love doesn't insist on its own way. Love looks out for the interests of others first while being willing to sacrifice to meet those interests. And last week we talked about love isn't irritable. Love is controlled and love is compassionate. This week, looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 5, our very next thing we're talking about, love is not resentful. Love isn't resentful. And the definition of resentful is feeling or expressing bitterness or indignation at having been treated unfairly. So is this saying that if I'm to love somebody that I can't be upset when I'm wronged? No, it's not saying that at all. If you were to walk up to me and punch me in the face and I get upset about that, I am not sinning because I'm upset. If you were to insult me, if you were to say, Grant, you're so skinny, I bet in the morning in the shower you have to run around to get wet. If you were to say something like that to me and my feelings get hurt and I get upset, is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. That's not wrong at all. That's not what this is saying. So what does this mean? What is this what resentment is? Just getting upset? No, I don't think so. The Greek word here that that Paul uses says uh, it means to reckon or to count or to charge with. So a clearer translation might be if you have a New International Version, yours says this, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So we get this picture of keeping a ledger, you know, keeping a ledger. I don't know if anybody does that, if anybody uh, uh, has ever done that before, you own your own business or whatever. What if, for example, after church, uh, you walk out in the lobby and I've got a cart and I've got fruit on that cart, okay? I'm the strawberry man today, okay? And you, you want to get some strawberries from me, so you show up, and you don't have any money. But that's okay. I'm still going to hook you up because I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. And I'll pull out a ledger. So what do I do? Well, I write your name down, and then what do I do? I write down how many strawberries you take. All right, have a nice day. Then the next person comes up, and you want some strawberries. Okay, what's your name? All right, excellent. How many strawberries you want? Okay, great. Why do I keep this? What's the point of the ledger? Because I intend to collect. You have, you have made a debt and I intend to collect. So I want to remember it and I'm going to come after you for what you owe me, right? And I will, I'll break your legs. You give me your money, all right, for my strawberries. Now, here's what this says. This says that you keep a record of wrongs. So what does that mean? That means that you call me a name, you make fun of me, you hurt me in some way, or I, I'm offended by something you do. I'm going to remember that. And I keep a ledger. Why do I keep this ledger? Because I intend to collect. You've created a debt. You've done something wrong to me. And I'm going to collect on that debt. And how do we collect when people have done wrong for us? Well, many different ways. We collect through the same type of action. 
right? That's straight up revenge. You, you slap me in the face, I'm gonna slap you back, right? Whatever it takes, I'm gonna get back at you. Sometimes we do that through slander. We tear people down. We try to tear their reputation apart. Probably the most fun thing to do is you hold on to it, you keep it in the ledger, and then you bring it up at a later date. Isn't that the, isn't that the thing that feels the best? And you just throw it in their face. You've been holding on to it, waiting for the perfect moment, and then they say something or whatever, and then you're just like, oh yeah, remember October 2014? And you throw it in their face, right? And so we collect on that debt. We hold that grudge. We keep that ledger. We keep that record of wrong because we intend on collecting. We intend on some sort of revenge, on making it right in our own power. Well, that's hateful. And the opposite of that, the opposite of keeping a record would be what? If I'm, if I'm keeping this record here, what would be the opposite of keeping that record? Not. Clearing it, right? Just it's gone. That record's gone. That's the opposite of keeping a record is clearing it. Clear the ledger. And that's what love is. You don't hold the grudge, which means you don't collect the debt. Why? It's gone. I don't have it anymore. It's not, it's not recorded. It's not there. I'm not holding on to it. And so that means that though you insult me, I will not respond in kind. Though, you, though you've offended me and wronged me, I don't throw it back in your face later. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love clears the ledger. Another way of saying that is love forgives. Love forgives. Now look, Every week when we've been talking about love, somebody comes up to me, multiple people come up to me throughout the week and say, you know, this has been really challenging for me. This, whatever it was. You know, you talk about irritability. That was really challenging for me. God really spoke to me in that one. Or, you know, you talked about love is kind, you know, actively uh, uh, working for the good of others regardless of the worthiness or response. You know, God really spoke to me on that. That really challenged me. And you know, this week as I've talked to different people about this series, they've asked me, what's coming up next? And I said, well, I mean, the, the very next one is, is resentment. And they go, oh, what does that mean? I was like, well, I mean, the positive way of saying that is that love forgives. And every single person's response, and these are not like bad people. These aren't terrible people or whatever. These are good people. Every one of their responses, ooh, forgiveness, right? And I can see, like, they're not saying it out loud, but in their mind, they're like, do I, can I be busy Sunday, right? Like, I'm not going to show, and why? Because we have a difficulty, like, we have difficulty forgiving. Because what's natural? The ledger's natural. That's familiar. When I get offended, when I get upset, I remember it. And, and that's true, isn't it? Like the difficult memories, the things that are, that are bad, we remember those. And so this is natural. Grabbing that ledger and holding on to that, that is natural. Letting go of it, clearing it, not getting what I want from other people, that's not natural. And so we struggle with forgiveness. Life without the ledger is not something that comes naturally to us, and we struggle for that. Well, today I want to look at this biblical account that I think is going to help us understand forgiveness a little bit better. Help us start reaching for that rather than reaching for the ledger. And we're going to look at, um, just real quick, we're going to look in in broad strokes at the life of Joseph. Um, If you have a Bible, I'm going to go ahead and have you turn to Genesis 50. Because we're going to look at some of his words there in Genesis 50. But, but his whole story is Genesis 37 through 50. And I know you've heard it before. A lot of you have. And, and even if you haven't, and especially if you haven't, I'm going to encourage you this week to go read this. Go read Genesis 37 through 50. And if you're like, I've never really read the Bible. I especially don't read the Old Testament. It's kind of boring, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Do you know Joseph's story? There's nothing boring about Joseph's story, right? Joseph's the 11th born son of Jacob. And he happens to be his favorite. And God starts to give him these dreams and these visions about what he's going to do with his life and Joseph is a young kid and so he's kind of he doesn't really have the discernment he probably should and so he goes up to his brothers and he starts to share his dreams well guess what his dreams have his brothers bowing down to him 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been a younger sibling. That's probably not something you want to say to your older siblings, right? Hey, one day you'll bow down to me and serve me, right? That is a recipe for punch me in the face, please. And so he shares that with them. And then also he's his dad's favorite. And, and, and Jacob, he's not, the, he's not the best with that whole fairness thing. You know, when you talk to your parent and you say, when you're a kid, and you say, well, who's your favorite? And what's, what's the mom and dad always say? I love you all equally, all right, Larry, you're all my favorites, you know, which is another way of saying, you know, your sister, don't make me say it. So anyway, like, you, they say that, well, well Jacob, did, he didn't play that game, Joseph. Well, dad, who's your favorite? Joseph is. No, I'm sorry, I think you're confused. I'm Reuben, so who's your favorite? No, it's Joseph, Reuben, it's Joseph, right? And so he plays his favorite, so his brothers are angry with him, and ultimately they decide, let's just kill him. So they, they plot to kill their brother. Their brother comes out to him one day and they're like, all right, time to kill him. And then the Lord is kind and he protects Joseph. And so ultimately, instead of killing him, uh, they throw him in a well. And then they're like, you know what? Instead of just throwing him in there and letting him die, why don't we make some money on the deal? So they sell him into slavery. They go back to Jacob and they say, Jacob, look, here's his, here's his coat you gave him and it's covered in blood. Like he's been torn apart. Uh, he's just, there's nothing left, all right? He was, he's, he's gone. He's gonzo. So who's your favorite? It now still Joseph all right so anyway he he sold, he gets sold into slavery this is this is bad this is ledger time right if there's anything worth writing down in a ledger it's that right there if there's a grudge worth holding selling me into slavery and telling my dad that I'm dead that's probably up that's pretty close that's pretty close to like drinking all of my Mountain Dew or whatever those are those are really they're up there all right so he gets into slavery and then ultimately He's faithful and the Lord blesses him. And so he ends up uh, a servant of this incredibly wealthy and powerful man, Potiphar. And, and so God blesses him and, and he basically ends up running Potiphar's house. I mean, he's, he's that honored. And so the Lord does great things for him. And then Potiphar's wife, you know, she's attracted to him and she throws, himself, uh, she throws herself at him and, and start, you know, beg, begging him to be with her and, and all of that. You know, like normal stuff that happens to me on a weekly basis. So she throws herself at him and Joseph's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she goes, that's fine. I'll just, uh, I'll just tell my husband you raped me. So, hey, uh, Joseph, Joseph like forced himself on me. Uh, you know, here's his, here's his coat. I, I got it to prove it. And, and he just tried, he came after me. So then Potiphar throws him in jail. So now he's in jail. This is a really good turn for him. But here's the thing, the Lord blesses him in jail and he ends up, he ends up basically running the jail. He's like number one inmate. All right. And so he's, like he's inmate of the month every month and so he ends up like basically running the jail and and long story short he ends up getting out of jail he interprets uh pharaoh's dreams and and pharaoh makes him incredibly powerful makes him a ruler in egypt all right so pretty good pretty good story well ultimately we know what happens there's a famine and and jacob sends his his sons to uh to egypt to buy grain they said well we know they've got it well guess who they run into Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph, and Joseph doesn't reveal himself, and, and he's still kind to them, and he provides for them, and, he's, and, and he ends up testing them, and ultimately he reveals himself to them, and, and then Joseph is reunited with Jacob, with his dad, and it's wonderful, and then Jacob, uh, Jacob dies, and Joseph buries him, and his brothers are afraid, because they're like, fine, maybe he was nice to us now because of our dad, because our dad was alive, but now that he's dead, he's probably going to kill all of us, and what does he say? Look at Genesis 50, verse 19 through 21, but Joseph said this to them, don't fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, so don't fear. 
I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph's example of forgiveness is what we're going to use today as our guide to hopefully help, our, help ourselves wrap our minds around forgiveness. And I think that there's some misconceptions about what forgiveness requires. What are we required to have to forgive uh, or not to have to forgive? And I want to start with what forgiveness does not require. The barriers to forgiveness that, that aren't real barriers. One, it doesn't require amnesia. That's the first thing that forgiveness doesn't require, amnesia. We always say that. What do we say? Forgive and forget. That's what we always say. Forgive and forget. So that we think they're synonymous, that you can't have forgiveness without forgetting. You, and, and I just don't think that's true. I think that's something we have we've put into the Bible in our own tradition, in our own minds. It's not in the Bible. Just like God helps those who help themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Or God won't give you more than you can handle. Or money is the root of all evil. These things aren't in the Bible. Neither is forgive and forget. Because forgiveness is a choice we make. Forgetting is not. Have you ever tried to forget something that's stuck in your brain? There's nothing you can do about it. You guys remember when the movie Titanic came out? Anybody? Titanic? Okay, not that long ago. All right, yeah. So Titanic, that was like, that was the movie. I saw that thing three times in the theaters. Uh, it was in that movie. I had my first kiss through my 300th kiss. It was a good movie. All right, it was a good movie for me. And, and at that time, if you remember, who was like the biggest pop star ever at that time? It was Celine Dion, wasn't it? right? Because she had that song, My Heart Will Go On. Remember that? And so if you, were, if you were like my age, if you were a teenager, then you had to live through your mother going out and buying every Celine Dion CD ever made and just listening to it on repeat. And you know it's true. And she would just listen to Celine Dion all the time. And we're in the car. Mom, can we please, anything else, anything other than Celine Dion? And no, absolutely not. And you know what? Those songs are locked in my brain forever, all right? Like, I have Celine Dion stuck in my head, and it doesn't matter. I can try, but it's all coming back to me, all coming back to me now. I can barely recall, but it's all coming back to me now. Like, I can't, I can't get it out of my head. That's a Celine Dion line, by the way, if you didn't catch that. That's, it's all stuck in my brain, I just can't get it out, and have you ever been in that place where I've, I want to forgive you, I want to get over it, but I can't forget it. I just can't forget it. The good news is forgiveness doesn't require forgetting. Joseph remembered? In Genesis 42, when they first showed up, what does it say? Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. Joseph's mind goes all the way back to before they throw him in the hole and sell him as a slave. You don't think he remembered? Absolutely he remembered. But can he still forgive? Absolutely. And not only did Joseph just remember, but he was emotionally moved. He was still emotionally affected by what had happened. You know, forget implies that there's still no emotional attachment to what happened to you. Like there's no hurt feelings anymore. Well, how many of you still feel the hurt of a past offense? Maybe it's been a month, maybe it's been a year, maybe it's been multiple years. And when you think about that, when you really let your mind get in that place again, that wound hurts just as much as it did however many years ago, right? You can't help that. We can't, we're not in charge of those feelings. And Joseph's emotions were everywhere. In Genesis 42, it says, Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you didn't listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So his brothers are talking about Joseph. They're talking about what they did to him. And they're saying, look, 
We're going to get in trouble because of what we did. But Joseph, here's what it says in verse 23. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there's an interpreter between them. So they don't know Joseph's listening. They don't know what he's, that, that he's hearing. And it says, then he turned away from them and wept. This is not the only time in this account, in this whole story where he runs into his brothers, where he has to leave the room because he weeps. There's one point where he has to send everyone out of the room so he can cry. He's still emotionally upset about that. He wasn't in control of his memories. He wasn't in control of his feelings, yet he forgave because forgiveness is a choice. Look at his forgiveness. Isn't it forgiveness? He didn't repay evil for evil. He was kind to them. He treated them with honor, regardless of what they had done. That's forgiveness, isn't it? Forgiveness doesn't require forgetting. It also doesn't require trust. Sometimes when we say forgive and forget, we translate that as may may the relationship just go back to normal. Can it all just go back to where it was? Can I go back to just, I just trust you again, you trust me, we're all good. That intimacy is unaffected, the trust is there, and let me make this clear. Forgiveness immediately restores honor but not trust. Forgiveness immediately restores honor, but not trust. Forgiveness is the first step towards restoring trust and reconciling that relationship, but it's not the only step. It's the first step, but it's not the only step. For example, if you and I were business partners, like I had some great idea, like I had this magic CD that if you, if you played it or if you listened to a specific song, it would wipe all Celine Dion lyrics from your mind. And so I had this great, great idea and you're my business partner and we came in together. So we had this, this, we made millions of dollars and then you started to steal from the company. You started to steal from me and I caught you and I confronted you and you're, I'm so sorry and, and I forgave you. Could I just, could we just act like it never happened? Could I, could I just send you like right back into the company? We're equal partners again. I put you over the money again. No big deal, right? Because forgiveness means that I have to trust you again or otherwise I haven't truly forgiven you. It's not true. It's just not true. Joseph forgave his brothers. Immediately, he treated them with honor. He immediately, he treated them with honor. He treated them well. He didn't treat them as thieves. He didn't treat them as, as people that, that owed a debt to him. None of that. He treated them well but he didn't treat them like brothers yet. He didn't reveal himself immediately yet. He did, they didn't start working on that relationship again yet. In fact, in Genesis 44, he tested them. He tested them. Why? Because he couldn't trust them. But did he forgive them? Absolutely he did. He was kind. He showed forgiveness, but not trust. Trust is not a requirement for forgiveness. Also, you know, it's not required for forgiveness or response. An excuse we might use for not forgiving is, well, they don't want to be forgiven. Or you know what? They don't even want to talk to me like this. I can't even, I can't even talk to them about it to forgive them. It's irrelevant. Forgiveness is not two-sided. It's not about them and you. It's about you. Forgiveness is about you. Joseph forgave his brothers before they knew who he was. There was no working it out. Hey, let's mutually forgive each other. Let's get this forgiveness train running. He forgave them before they even knew who he was. If you got your Bibles there in Genesis 50, go to Genesis 45 and check this out. Verse three, Genesis 45, look in verse three. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph reveals himself to them. Hey, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's me, your brother. I'm alive. Is dad still alive? And they couldn't even speak because they were so upset. Not like, oh no, Joseph, I I always hated that guy. No, 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 they're thinking, oh no, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna be punished now. So they're so dismayed, they can't even speak. But look at what Joseph says, look at verse four. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many, uh, many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have, there I'll provide for you. There are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you you must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you've seen hurry and bring back my father down here then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them after that his brothers talked with him so Joseph's forgiveness was not incumbent upon anything that their brothers were doing or saying they didn't even know it was Joseph. And then when he said, hey, it's me, Joseph, they didn't even say anything. They didn't even say, hey, this, I know this is weird, kind of awkward. Sorry about throwing you in a well and selling you into slavery and telling dad that, we, that you were dead. Sorry about that, right? They don't say anything. And what does Joseph say? Please, I want to bless you. I want to honor you. Look, I'm going to provide for you and bring the family and bring everybody and I'm going to provide for you. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to do great things for you. The Lord's been so good to us. Joseph's forgiveness and his kindness had nothing to do with his brothers. It had nothing to do with how they would respond. It had nothing to do with if they deserved it. It had nothing to do if they even wanted it. His forgiveness was about him and forgiveness is about you and forgiveness is not, it's not reactive Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five. 25 whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who's in heaven may forgive your trespasses it doesn't say whenever you're standing to pray go to the person who wronged you and, and try to get them to apologize. Go to the person who wronged you and see if they want to be forgiven. It doesn't say anything about the other person. What does it say? You forgive. But God, what about the, but, 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 you forgive. But I don't, I don't even think they want to be forgiven. Irrelevant. You forgive. The other person isn't even there. It doesn't matter. You forgive. Others' response is not required for us to forgive. And so have these three barriers, have these three things been barriers to you? and your forgiveness, like you can't forget, or you can't trust them, the relationship isn't gonna go back to how it used to be, or, or, or their response. Forgiveness doesn't require any of that. It doesn't require any of that. You can forgive and treat someone honorably regardless of your memory or your feelings, because you choose how you act. You can forgive someone and not seek them harm even though your relationship isn't restored. It may never be what it once was. You can forgive someone regardless if they think they need it or not. Forgiveness is a choice you make. It's not a choice anyone else makes for you. So if that's what forgiveness doesn't require, what does it require of us? What does forgiveness require? One, it requires prayer. 
you know, we had, um, I've, got, I've got four kids, three of them, my three oldest, all had passies. The youngest never had a chance. We were not going to ever get one near him. Because the other three, it was so hard to get the passy out of their mouth. And finally, like, we broke them of it. I wish, like, you talk about a million-dollar idea, let me give you one. You know nicotine patches? Are there passy patches? If you could invent something that would just get a little bit of passy in the blood or whatever it was, like, they were not giving up those pacifiers. And, you know, finally they did. But, you know, the weird thing was, months later even, if they fell and got hurt or they were really upset, you know when kids get, they're just, they're inconsolable. They just get so upset. They're so tired or whatever and they're just screaming and whining or whatever. Months later, they would ask for their passing. Like that was their natural response. This thing has happened. I'm hurt. I'm upset. Give me my passing, whatever it was. And I'll be honest, there were times Absolutely. Like, I, would, I don't know where they are, but I'm going to go find some. I'm going to find something passy-like, and you can have it, all right? And usually that was just, like, my daughter. She gets what she wants. But anyway, when the memory of the offense is brought up to you, or when that hurt is there, you're offended, or your feelings return, or whatever it is, our natural response is what? To grab the ledger. That's our natural response. When someone speaks carelessly to you or they, they do that thing again that you, you don't like and they know you don't like, you go right back to the ledger. Ah, oh, yeah, of course they treated me like that. Of course, right? Or when your boss belittles you again, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is it. This is just, this is nine, uh, th- this is the ninth thing he's done today or whatever it is. That's our response. That's our natural response. When we're wrong, you go right back to the ledger. Right back to holding that grudge. And if we want to forgive, then our response to hurts, our memories of hurts, and our feelings, our response needs to change. It needs to turn into prayer. Ask Him for help. You need to be praying for yourself. A prayer to deal with you is the first thing you should pray for. A prayer to deal with you, to deal with your emotions. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Do we have that? I think we have that on the slide. Can we put that up real quick? Our prayer to deal with yourself, to deal with your emotions, right? And so when you're feeling that, when everything's going crazy and, you, and you're all upset, go to the Lord. He's the God of all comfort. Claim that. Lord, you're the God of all comfort. Please, I am upset. I'm hurting. Please deal with these emotions with me. Deal with these feelings. And then pray for your actions. Lord, I need wisdom to know how to deal with this person. I know I want to deal with this person. I'm thinking throat chop is probably what needs to happen. Instead, Lord, I know that's not what's, what I need to do. Lord, help me here. My emotions are going crazy. Help me here. I'm so upset. And the Lord, what does it say there in James 1.5? If you need wisdom, ask. And what will he do? He'll give it to you because he's generous and he'll give it to you in abundance and he's not gonna be upset with you for asking, why do you need it, you dummy? No, it says he'll give it to you in abundance. And then you need a prayer to deal with the person. You know, Luke 6, 28 says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. I wonder what it would be like for us, how, how much easier it might be for us to forgive if our response to people harming us was not to sit there and to think about cursing them or to think about how upset we are with them or to think about what's wrong with them but instead we would just go to the Lord and pray for them Lord help them not Lord crush them that's not a great prayer all right like Lord make their hair fall out those are not good prayers but Lord bless them bless them make them happy in you what the Lord would do for our hearts there so prayer forgiveness is bigger than you do you need prayer to have success. The second thing that forgiveness requires is humility. 
What does the ledger do? When you keep a ledger, what does it do? It elevates you. It makes you the judge. I have judged that you have, give, you have incurred this amount of debt. I have judged that I will collect that debt in this way. It makes you the judge. And it's not true. I'm no judge. In fact, I'm just a fellow debtor that the judge has forgiven. And what's our main motivation in forgiving others? Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We can forgive anything. We can forgive anything if we're humble enough to acknowledge the ridiculous debt God has forgiven us. How dare I not offer forgiveness to you for whatever careless word you spoke, whatever careless action you spoke, when I have offended a holy God with my sin and yet he's forgiven me. Joseph realized this. Joseph is is ruling in Egypt. He's in a place to make it, to, to bring his own justice and to judge his brothers. He is, like, he's a ruler in Egypt. If he had said, all right, you see these guys over here? They threw me in a pit. They sold me into slavery. So I'm gonna throw them in an even deeper pit, all right? And then we're just gonna, we're gonna bury them alive or whatever it is. No one would bat an eye. Everybody would go, okay, cool, you're in charge. You can do this, whatever, I guess, you're right, okay? And so he's in that place. And yet Joseph acknowledges that he's, he's humble and he remembers his debt to God. Here's what it says in Genesis 50, 19. Joseph said to them, don't fear, For am I in the place of God? Joseph acknowledges, who am I to judge you? Who am I to condemn you? Forgiveness requires humility. I am no judge. Whatever wrong has been done to me, I deserve worse and I have been forgiven much worse by my God. And this humility only happens with regularly spending time with God. You know, in Matthew 18, Jesus gives us this parable of the unforgiving servant where this servant's been been brought before this ruler. He owes him an incredible debt and the ruler forgives him. And then that servant leaves that place and he finds somebody else who owes him a very small debt and he doesn't extend that mercy to him. He actually has him thrown in prison so he can pay his debt back. Well, the ruler finds out and he's really angry and he says, I forgave you all of this and you couldn't forgive him that little amount. Fine, now you're in jail until you can pay this debt back to me. And then he goes on to say, Jesus tells us the point is to forgive or this is how God will deal with us as well. But can I draw an additional point from this parable? When the man was before the king, when he saw the power of the king before him, what was his response? Humility. He begged for his life. He didn't stand up and say, you better forgive me. I got places to be, right? He's humble and he begs him. But what happens when he leaves the presence of the king? His pride returns. And he gets that inflated view of himself. I think what we can learn from that is stay before the king. Stay humble. Forgiveness requires humility. I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. I know the judge. And I am not the judge. Forgiveness requires humility. It lastly requires faith. With the ledger, you don't need faith. You don't need God. Why? Because you've got a plan. You will bring justice. I know the debt. I know how I'm going to make it right. You will work for your benefit. I'll take care of my needs. Forgiveness requires faith. Because you let that go. You clear that ledger. You're going to have to trust that God's, that you have to trust God's promise for justice. When he says in Luke 18, 7 through 8, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will promptly carry out justice on their behalf. You have to start to trust him to bring justice because you're not going to. You have to trust that God's working for your good. 
because you aren't going to go collect this debt because you think this is what's best for you. You're gonna trust God and you're gonna trust that even though on the face, this looks like it's not for my best. It looks like the best thing for me to do is to get even. The best thing to do is to make it right in my own eyes. But God, okay, I trust you. And we have to trust that Romans 8, 28 is true, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Joseph chose faith. In Genesis 50, 20, it says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph chose to trust God's justice. You intended to harm me. God will deal with that. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. I trust that God is at work even now for my good. So when we're mistreated, so often we grab the ledger and we look for how we are mistreated or how we're missing out instead. May we, like Joseph, choose to look for how God's at work. We let him move. Forgiveness requires a lot of faith. So love chooses to forgive. It's not easy. It requires God's power. And that's why we connect with it through prayer and humility and faith. So let me ask you this question as we close. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? And I know that we deal with that. We struggle with that. And I don't say that because like, I can read your mind and I know what's going on like, in your mind right now. I know you're thinking about the color yellow or whatever. I, I, I can't read your mind. I don't know what's going on. But I say that because I struggle with forgiveness. I say that because we are, it's, there's constant tension between human beings. We are always bumping up against each other. We're always running over each other's preferences. We're always, there's always that tension. So who do you need to forgive? Who out there do you need to humble yourself and trust the Lord with and ask for his help? Who do you need to forgive? And can I give you, we already talked about you need to humble yourself and you need to ask the Lord for his help and you need to trust his promises. But can I give you another tip of moving towards forgiveness, a practical way to move towards forgiveness? And this comes from Joseph. Back in Genesis 50, where we just, where we just started, we're going to end with this as well. He says to his brothers, don't fear, for, I'm, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. Here's what, here's, here it is. You ready? Verse 21. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. That's what forgiveness looks like. Choosing to act kindly to people. Not waiting for their response. He chose to act kindly. He trusted the Lord. He gave it over to the Lord. He, he humbled himself before the Lord and said, Lord, you're the judge, not me. I trust your justice, not mine. You're gonna work for my good. I trust the way you work, not the way I work. So Lord, help me here. Help me with my brothers. I'm emotionally upset. I'm overwhelmed, but help me here. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna focus on being kind to them. I'm gonna focus on doing good for them. So if I can ask you, who do you need to forgive? Can I also ask, how will you serve them? How will you treat them kindly? Because that's what forgiveness looks like. And we think about that with God. That's what he's done for us. I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, Lord, you've forgiven us. That, Lord, when you call us to forgive, the, the forgiveness you've called us to display is um, so small compared to what we've been forgiven. That, Lord, you've looked at us your word calls enemies of you. Without Jesus, we are enemies of you. Our, our motivations, our thoughts, our actions, our words are offensive to you. 
And yet, Lord, because of what you've done for us on the cross, we're forgiven. And you bring us into your family and you called us children. So, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness and help us forgive. Help us let go of the ledgers. Help us to forget the grudges. Help us to to stop trying to collect on debts that are not for us to collect. And instead to trust you and to humble ourselves under your hand and to trust you to make it right. And may we be like Joseph, just focus on how we can do good for them. We trust you to do everything else. So Lord, thank you for that. And Lord, now as we come to the table this morning and we take communion together and we remember your body broken, your blood poured out. I pray, Lord, that if there are people in this room who need to be forgiven by you this morning, that they would be. There are people in this room, Lord, that, that they need to know that, that you've accepted them and they need to know that they're forgiven, Lord, that today would be the day that they would call out right where they are in their seats, that in the quietness of their heart and mind, they don't have to say it out loud, but Lord, they would communicate to you that, Lord, forgive me. Lord, give me a new start. Give me a fresh life. Lord, forgive me. Make me yours. And Lord, this morning, may they come. And may they come to the table this morning and take that bread and take that juice. And Lord, for the first time, may they know that they're forgiven. May they know that from this day forward, they belong to you and nothing will change that. So Lord, we trust what you're gonna do in our time together as we worship through communion. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.